Today's podcast is a chat with Mark Davey, the Chief Executive of the Youth Adventure Trust, a charity close to my heart. I'm a patron, and it's a charity that uses outdoor adventure to empower young people to fulfill their potential and lead positive lives in the future. They're doing great work, and I really hope you enjoy the chat. This episode today is kindly sponsored by the Rivers Trust. Healthy rivers are essential to human life, and despite this, only 14% of rivers in England are currently considered to have good ecological status, and there's not a single river designated as bathing water. The Rivers Trust is a collective of grassroots environmental charities dedicated to protecting and improving rivers for the benefit of people and wildlife. Together, they want wild, healthy rivers that people value in a more natural state. They work to improve land management practices across river landscapes, restore aquatic habitats, and address sources of pollution. The River Trust... The River Trust... The River Trust's work... True Professional would re-record this. I'm quite hungry, so I'm going to keep going. The River's Trust work is as diverse as the rivers they work on. Last year alone, they addressed almost 800 pollution incidents, improved 7,500 kilometres of river, worked with over 100 communities that were at risk of flooding, and planted around 220,000 trees. To find out how you can get involved with the River Trust, head to their website, www.theriverstrust.org, or follow them on Twitter at The Rivers Trust. Um, right. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are you a podcast veteran? Um, I'm, I think Virgin would be, um, um, you know, more of the, more of the case. This is my first, um, podcast. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's exactly what I like to hear. So I was trying to work out, so I did my Googling, thought, right, I've got to interview this man called Mark Davies. Sounds very important man. So I Googled, but I'm not sure which of these Mark Davies is you. From the mm-hmm. first pages of Google, officers tasered Mark Davy after he confronted them with a loaded co- crossbow and shouted, "Get the beep out of my house!" Is that, oh, that is me. That is me. Okay, yeah. which probably led to your next escapade. Prisoner Mark Davy offered to forfeit proceeds of crime or serve longer. Is that you? Again, yeah. Okay, Mark Davy is an English amateur and professional welterweight boxer of the 1970s and 80s. Uh, no, that's not me, actually. Okay. Mark Davies, Executive Vice President of International Financial Institutions, IFI. Uh, no. And there is a new solo show by artist Mark Davy. Yes. Sorry. Yes, yeah. that is me. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I have to say, I think I'm uh, all the more interesting Mark Davies are taken, but I've ended up with, uh, with, with, <laughs> me, with me. <laughs> yeah. But however, though, how about this then? Have you ever signed your name in the Taj Mahal VIP Visitors Book? Uh, yeah, I have actually, yeah. Do you, do you want a, a little bit of background to that? Yeah, I think that sounds uh, like a good place for us to start. Okay, so uh, my uncle uh, took his family many, many years ago uh, by Land Rover and drove to um, Australia, uh, sort of, uh, you know, you know, st- started living out there. Um, and on the way, he went, he went through the Taj Mahal. And for some unaccountable reasons, I still don't know, he, there was a visitor's book. And so he signed my brother's name in the visitor's book. Um, or wrote my brother's name. And so when I went traveling through Southeast Asia, 
I went to the Taj Mahal as well. Uh, and the idea was that I would sign uh, his name in the visitor's book so that when my brother ever went to the Taj Mahal, he could sign my name. So, um, <laughs> I, so, I, so I, I rocked up and I sort of told the people there this story. And I, I ended up meeting with the caretaker of the Taj Mahal. And I became really close friends with him over a period of about four days because he just we had tea together in the morning. We talk about, you know, what I was trying to do. I talk about my trip and he would sort of say, you know, come back tomorrow and we'll see what we can do. Um, and this sort of went on day after day. I think he was just maybe a bit lonely. Uh, but eventually, um, he said, OK, I've, I've now spoken to the head of security at the Taj Mahal and, and we'd like you to come back tomorrow at a certain time. So I went back and they ushered me into this large room um, and there was a big leather chair and there was a very big fancy book um, on, on the table. And there was a number of people that obviously worked there or looked after it. And they said, well, there's no there isn't a visitor's book anymore because um that's all been you know it's, there's too many visitors now so we don't have one of those all the archives are in delhi or somewhere um but we do have a vip's visitors book and we've been really impressed with your story of what you're trying to do your family <laughs> and so we'd like you to sign in this book and they gave me a big gold pen and i sat down and wrote a little story about what i was doing where i was traveling and my uncle and so on and signed uh, his name i also put my name in and uh and I said, can I have a little look back? And there was Mrs. Gandhi and the commander of the Indian Navy and various different dignitaries. So, um, and they said, whenever you come back to India, you've got a sort of express pass. Just bring your family and uh, and we'll show you around. So, oh, wow. I haven't That's taken up on that yet. Yeah. Oh. I'm not taking I, up um, on that. Back in 97, I cycled the Karakoram Highway from Pakistan to China. Um, and back then, there were a ridiculous number of police checkpoints, those totally pointless ones where people who can't read look at your passport upside down and it, it's fill in these big ledgers. And I, every one I put my occupation as a pigeon fancier. I have no idea why I did that. And I totally forgot about it until quite a few later, years later, a friend of mine was on the same route and flicked back through the archives and saw the, um, the Karakoram pigeon fancier, Alistair Humphreys, was there. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so back in the, back in the, I'm going to go back into the depths of time. Okay. Um, when um, you, um, as a young man, decided to join the army, why why did you decide to join the army? Um, I think this uh, originally. I think the two options on the table were working for the forestry commission or joining the army because they were both sort of um, outdoor, uh, adventurous uh, type jobs, and that's uh, that was always that's always been something that's been really important to me is 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 doing something outdoors uh, and, you know, physical, engaging, adventurous. Uh, that's come from my childhood. So so the army, uh, strangely, was just an option that would uh, – we're not – I'm not from a military family or anything like that. My brother did spend a bit of time in the army, um, and uh, I'm not sure it suited him 100%. Uh, he's, yeah, he did a relatively short period of time. He played a lot of hockey, um, which is which – is, very good for the army um and um so yeah I, i'd had some experience um but it was really about sort of that sort of living some sort of adventurous lifestyle traveling you know doing some exciting things that was really the driver what regiment were you in i was in the uh, worcestershire and sherwood foresters um uh, sort of like other uh, well their nickname was the woofers um <laughs> or the sort of robin hood gang you know so uh, we were a county infantry regiment and I, yeah, we went. I went uh, all around the place. We did lots of uh, peacekeeping duties, and and it was it was really exciting. I think when it got to the point of becoming a job, 
then it felt like it was time to to leave. And when it, when it, when it got a bit grown up, then it was time to go. Okay. So what what had, did the army teach you? What did life in the army teach you that's since helped you in your work with kids? Um, I think the biggest thing that it teaches you is sort of responsibility, really, because uh, when I started, I was 19 um, and I was sort of looking after a group of 30 soldiers um, in Northern Ireland um, yeah, and uh, doing all the things that you used to do out there. And it was quite an active time. We used to have um, incidents occurring most weeks. Um, I was blown up out there as well. Uh, and so it was it was it was a sort of step into adulthood very, very quickly. And I think that sort of um, level of uh, you know, taking responsibility for your own actions uh, was was really drummed into you. I mean, you ha- you had so much responsibility on your shoulders. Um, and, and likewise, now working with uh, young people, that's a huge responsibility. Um, you know, we've got the safety of all of these young people and their welfare. And we need to take that really, really seriously when we're doing our sort of outdoor programs with them. But uh, do, you, but do you try also to take that? the importance of responsibility and get these kids to take responsibility for themselves and their choices and actions. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we sort of wrap our young people in cotton wool um, far too much. And, um, you know, from, from my childhood, we used to disappear out of the back door, pen knife in hand for six hours, you know, doing whatever you need to do, making dens, climbing trees, what have you. And you had to make all your own decisions in terms of safety um, you know, all of those sort of things. And I think for a lot of young people, um, that style of life is either very difficult for them to access. Um, and, and to a certain extent, we do wrap them a bit in cotton wool. And I think showing these young people that they have to take responsibility for themselves and their actions, they can change who they want to be, they've got a choice as to who they want to be, um, I think is a really important part of growing up. And I think that's, it feels like it's a little bit missing at the moment. Mm, yeah well i'm going to come on to talk mo- most of my questions are going to be about the the youth adventure trust but just want to ask um, a couple of questions about some of your own expedition adventuring first just try and get a bit, bit of a feel for you so you've got a good list of the matterhorn mont blanc baffin franklin memorial expedition paragliding in south africa babadag which i don't even know what that is in azerbaijan um is there some sort of common thread in the expeditions you've gone for you know what what do you look for in an adventure for yourself in your in your life i think um i've i've been very lucky to be um sort of invited or dragged along on various expeditions and and the majority of those trips have been um some of them quite sort of technical and requiring lots of technical skills of which i don't really have um so there's been a sort of common theme there where i've i've really felt like i'm stepping right outside of my comfort zone um, and as a result um, I get to achieve some things that are beyond what I would think uh, I'm able to do certainly things like climbing the Matterhorn I wouldn't have the first idea of what I was doing if I was getting to go myself but I was taken by somebody who was very competent and was able to sort of lead me on that trip so that feeling of um, of pushing yourself and going outside your comfort zone is is the sort of thing I'm trying to sort of um, pass on to other people, young people, friends, colleagues, etc. Because I've got so much value out of that um, throughout my life um, that I just feel like it's nice to be able to pass that on uh, where I can. I read a great quote, which I think you might want to run through the uh, Youth Adventure Trust lawyers um, 
first, which says, uh, throughout, my, throughout most of my life, I've been taken on adventures without what most people would regard as the appropriate level of experience. That's just what we're talking about yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it would be fair to say that I've spent most of my time passing this on and stretching other people through adventure. Friends, families, colleagues, and the young people we work with, no one is safe. <laughs> um, but it's it's a really it's a, such a nice thing to be a part of when you are sort of uh, facilitating someone doing something that they thought for them was not really possible and, and it's the same if i'm taking a you know some people across baffin island uh, you know they've never been to the arctic they've never been in in that sort of environment at all so it's it's a sort of wide-eyed moment of just looking being in this sort of environment that they've never experienced before and, and people have literally changed uh, their lives as a result of some of these experiences uh, and i think that's to a certain extent that's the sort of crux of what we're trying to do with our young people we're trying to sort of build resilience um, and to give them the skills that they need to go out there and you know and deal with life i was thinking the other day actually that uh, it's almost like we're i don't know whether this is inappropriate or not i hope not um, um, you can decide of, that. You're, okay. you're, you're, you're the CEO of a charity. Well, well deciding everything, yeah. Um, uh, it feels like uh, the Youth Adventure Trust is 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 giving a an adventure vaccine uh, to these young people, uh, and we by by setting these challenges that they've never done before, and we're we're in a, we give them a supportive and secure environment in which to challenge themselves and stretch themselves. It, it allows them to have this resilience, which they then take out into their normal lives. They've got some, there's some really difficult circumstances that these young people are facing in their daily lives. And if we're able to give them this toolkit to go out there and deal with these issues, um, then that is absolutely fantastic. We can't take away their problems, but we can allow them to potentially deal with them in a better way. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> um, well, let's move on, start talking about some, some of the the work you do with uh, young people. What was your what was your personal motivation for moving from the army to deciding to work with teenagers? Um, well, I was I was working for a, um, uh, an international humanitarian uh, charity prior to that. That we, we were dealing with sort of uh, young people all around the world in in very challenging circumstances, and I was I was running a fundraising uh, team as part of that, um, and. The, the the transition really for me uh, was um, I needed someone to do a sort of promotional video and I, uh, David Hempelman Adams kindly came to do that um, and he invited me the, the to explorer. get the explorer yeah David Hempelman Adams and uh, he invited me to then uh, get involved with uh, what is now the Youth Adventure Trust and so for me that transition to running an organisation from just running a fundraising team. Uh, was a sort of step into the dark as well. I'd never done anything like that before. And so it, it felt uh, like a challenge to sort of step forward and and, uh, and take on. And it's been the most amazing journey over the last 18 years. It's been, mm. been incredible. Um, you mentioned David Helmman Adams, who's one of the, the founders. And I, I read this, I've never heard this phrase, but I really like it. But he or someone about to do with the founding said, this led to the realization that many young people, for a variety of reasons, often do not have the opportunity to start the believe, achieve process and make the most of their lives. Which, when I say it out loud, sounds quite cheesy, but the notion of believing and then achieving, which mm. I'm guessing from your army background and certainly my the 
nice, happy background I have has been intrinsic in my life. But is that a key thing that's missing with a lot of the young people you work with? Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of the young people that come to us are quite often seen as uh, failing, or they might see themselves as failing. Um, um, and so, trying to sort of turn the key so that they they have a different self perception uh, that actually there is loads of opportunities out there for them, and they actually can do these things. Um, that that is the sort of turnkey moment, really, because once that once that key has been turned then challenges that are presented to these young people they, they don't they don't fear them anymore they just see them as a challenge and they they you know get into it um try and get through it they may not come out the other side necessarily but that's not so important but the important thing is that they actually step up and have a go at it and i think if we can get all of our young people having that approach to challenges that present themselves throughout their their lives then uh, that's going to be an amazing um difference that we can make in their lives but isn't it a ridiculous assumption that uh, taking a bunch of kids camping can help them with the actual reality of real life of getting jobs and relationships and keeping out of trouble? I, I, no, I think I think it's absolutely fundamental. Um, I think it was, as I said before, it's sort of part of my childhood, and it's it's uh, that sort of adventure and outdoor um, theme has run through my entire life. So it is absolutely made you know. Um, walking down the local rivers and you know sort of non-stop cycling to you know, Dover I think we did 24 hours um, all those things that we did as children um, th- that has absolutely shaped every part of my life uh, since then so I, I definitely wouldn't underestimate the power um, of these sorts of experiences I mean you know we're, when young people come away with us um, they're with us for a long long period of time so we see them on and off for various parts of our program between the age of 11 um, and 16. And those young people at that, at, that, um, at that age 11, they've just moved to secondary school. So that's quite a, a difficult time for some young people. And to give them that support at that period of time and see it right the way through to age 16, um, that will absolutely, and it does, and we've seen it, transform their lives. So it's, um, yeah, no, it's very, very powerful. Mm, yeah. And it's not, so- uh, like you say, it's not, it, 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 what we're not doing is we're not we're not doing a, a sort of summer camping trip um, or a holiday or uh, we're an activity provider. Uh, we're none of those things. Uh, what what we're about is the development of young people, um, and we use the outdoors and we use these activities. But that's that's fundamentally not what we're about. We're about changing the course of these young people's lives. So um, I haven't even asked the question yet of what is what is the Youth Adventure Trust? So perhaps you could explain what the Youth Adventure Trust does that's different to just taking some uh, kids who are having a hard time off camping for a week. What do you do? Uh, well, as I as I mentioned, we've got, we're a long term intervention. So we have we have an outdoor program uh, that runs over three school years and involves uh, a whole number of residential camps and activity days. We have mountain camp, uh, coastal camp, forest camp, various activity days, um, and young people go through that process uh, or go through the, the duration of that uh, that program. Then after that, um, young people can access our mentoring scheme where they have a volunteer mentor one-to-one over the course of about a year. Uh, and then young people can also, beyond that, access uh, our bursary scheme where young people can apply for funding if they want to join a sports group or something. What we're trying to do at that point is really 
dovetail these young people into their next opportunity and their next experience. And um, we've certainly had quite a lot of success working with other uh, development, youth development charities, where we're able to sort of pass on the young people into their next next phase, really. Um, so it's, yeah, fundamentally, it's a long-term intervention uh, for vulnerable young people. Um, and we're all about resilience, mental toughness, and giving them the skills they need to sort of survive modern life. So who who are the young people you're re- reaching out to and engaging with? Can you give us an example of the sort of demographic and the issues that that uh, you're tackling? So interestingly, we we have a very um, wide um, group of young people that we're supporting. Um, it may be that they're from uh, low-income families. It may be um, that they um, are young carers, so a young person that's looking after a sick or disabled member of their family. Uh, it may be that uh, young people are struggling at school. So a whole a whole range really of young people. One of the thing that's one of the things that um, makes them fall into the group that we're after is that there's really no opportunities for them. So some young people do get chances to go and do things like this. Um, and the group that we're uh, identifying are particularly vulnerable. They're at risk for a whole range of reasons, um, as a lot of young people are. Uh, you know, a lot of young people are vulnerable. Um, and we are targeting this group of young people that really don't have any opportunities. So it's, it's like poverty of opportunity, really. And so we identify those young people through schools. Uh, the, the schools that we work with um, really know the young people well and they can identify young people that really fit the bill and, and young people that would really benefit from this sort of opportunity. And then it's those young people that we start working with. That phrase, I've not heard that phrase, poverty of opportunity before, but that's really a poignant phrase. What, what sort of things are there that I might have just taken completely for granted in my nice, happy life that in terms of poverty of opportunity that some of these uh, young people don't have? Well, it's, it's very simple things like um, a supportive family. So if your uh, parents um, or carers are backing you uh, and would you know, help you get to a local club or to encourage you to do things, then that's a really big influencer. It can be something simple like transport. Uh, a lot of the young people that we work with are rurally isolated. Um, so just literally not being able to afford to get to the place where there might be some form of activity. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, that's those, those are the key things, really. You know, we, we take things for granted, don't we, um, in, in our own lives, how we can access all of these things. But for a lot of young people, they're just not even an option. Uh, they're, they're, you know, if it costs money, they're not going to do it. Um, so, so, yeah, we're trying to support those. I think there are a lot of things that I take for granted that I don't even know merit being taken for granted. You know, I I take them so for granted, I don't even know I'm taking them for granted. Well, so, so for example, uh, the ability to uh, trust somebody, uh, the ability to communicate effectively with somebody, um, uh, all those things that we take for granted. It's it's just a, a normal part of our lives. For a lot of the young people that we support, those are new skills. They just don't have those skills, and it's a. Uh, and by working with them over a long period of time, we're able to sort of build up, uh, build up those skills for, uh, for life. Really, they, they are life skills. Yeah. Could you give me, tell tell me a story? I, you might have to anonymize or fictionalize as appropriate the the child, but to tell me the st- someone who comes to your mind of a child, who, what their home life was like, 
how they responded to being taken off on their first adventures and and their progression. Mm. There's uh, there's one uh, young lady who I won't uh, mention her name, but her her journey has been um, just remarkable. She came from a very difficult uh, home life and was very um, sort of self-contained and withdrawn. And I think when I first um, when I first met her and when she was doing some of her uh, initial days with us, um, she literally was excluded from excluded herself from the group. Uh, her hood was up. Um, you know, didn't make eye contact with anyone, didn't speak to the, any of the other young people, certainly none of the adult staff, and was, was absolutely, totally withdrawn uh, from, from anything at all. So that was her starting point. And then as um, her time on the program progressed, I think she realized uh, that it was safe and that she was surrounded by uh, all sorts of people, including our volunteers, who are really inspirational and really engage really well these uh, young people and, and show them that it's okay to be uh, a bit silly or foolish or cover themselves in mud or you know um, all of those sorts of things I think people I think the young the young people realized very quickly and certainly she did um, that there was this sort of safe place really that she could start to be herself um, and obviously in her in her her own home life there were very few opportunities um, for any anything like this whatsoever so she just started to sort of flourish and 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 develop through the course of the um, uh, program, and to a point where she's just an incredibly engaging um, and fun person to be with. Um, and I was I was actually at um, we were running a woodland program um, last year, and she had come as a, a an ambassador, sort of young ambassador to the charity. She's our first young ambassador. Um, and I was talking to her. We were building a sort of um, a woodland shelter together. And we had two potential donors that were there um, looking, you know, they were quite imposing. <laughs> These two people were quite imposing. And um, she said to me, uh, who are those? Who are those two there? And I said, well, they're, you know, they're people that may be supporting the charity. They're, you know, they're possible donors. They come to see what's going on. And she said, OK, I'll, I'll, shall I go and butter them up then? <laughs> and um, off she off she trotted to these people she'd never met before, and did a complete sales pitch on everything that she'd got from the program, and and to see that transition from a young person that wouldn't make eye contact with anyone uh, to going up to two imposing strangers to to sell the charity that's that's a real indication of the trans transformation that she's been through, um, and and you know she wants to come back and volunteer for the charity, and I think it'll be an amazing sort of closing of the loop when she comes back as an adult and, and starts volunteering. So yeah, oh. it's, uh, it, it, it's, um, it's emotional when you see people go through those sort of journeys. Um, it's, yeah, it's really emotional to, to have been part of that. Do you still find yourself, maybe you're too tough having been in the army, but do you still shed a tear now, even after years of seeing these stories, do, do, do it make you cry? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I watched. I watched. Uh, we've we've got a, sh a short film about her, and I watched that the other day. And in fact, we 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 um, we we filmed her over a period of years, so you can actually see her grow up um, throughout the film. Um, and it brings, yeah, it brings a tear to my eye every time I see it. Oh. Uh, so it's um, that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, to play that uh, part in in somebody's life is, is a very um, yeah, it's a very proud thing to to be a part of, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, what sort of what sort of adventure things do you go and do? Personally, 
No, sorry, uh, with the, the oh, with Youth Adventure Trust, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, so interestingly enough, actually, we, we looked at our programme a number of years ago, and you would sort of expect, if you're doing adventurous things with young people, that you have to sort of up the ante every time and do something bigger and better and uh, more extreme. And actually, <clears throat> it feels like it's the opposite, because... Um, we do a whole range of things. So we do all the activities, you know, on their mountain camp, they would be doing backward survival where they're um, building their own shelters, they're whittling, they're making pot hangers, uh, they're living out in the shelters overnight. Um, it may be that they're doing canoe journeys, canoe bivvies down the River Wye, uh, where they're sleeping out under the boat. So they're quite committing activities that we do with the young people. Um, but actually, as the program progresses, um, it's more about relationships. Uh, than it is about doing all the big sparkly activities. Um, and I was um, standing outside the marquee um, probably a couple of years ago now <clears throat> and just looking in at mealtimes on our forest camp. And there was a hum uh, of conversation uh, in, in the marquee. And it was all of our volunteers and all of our young people, just this sort of buzz and hum of excitement and conversation. And it, and it sort of felt like that's what we do. You know, through these activities, we create this really amazing environment for young people to be inspired by these volunteers, um, to inspire each other, to build friendships that last a lifetime, and 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 that's the that's the nuts and bolts of what we do. Hmm. So, what do, what do the kids? What do they enjoy, and what do they hate? <laughs> um, I'm thinking in terms of type two fun, you know, the uh, retrospective pleasure. So what things do they love and what do they hate that, that you uh, get them to do? Uh, they hate getting up in the morning. Um, <laughs> and, and we, because uh, it's hard work. They're, you know, they're on some of our residentials for six days. Um, and so they're, they're up at seven in the morning um, and they go to bed at sort of 10 o'clock, half past 10, something like that. And it's a, it's a full program. Um, with lots of activities, um, lots of review work, where the young people are, have the opportunity to sort of dissect what's happened during the day and to draw out all the learning from it. And so, yeah, it's a fairly full-on day. And you do that six days on the trot in any weather. Uh, we don't stop for the weather. And so they are, they get, as the week goes on, they get more and more tired. Uh, we've developed some uh, fairly creative ways of waking them up, which generally involve pots and pans and loud hailers um, with various different cho- um, We haven't gone down the bagpipe oh. route, but I oh, think it's only a matter of time. I was in the brief, the, the OTCs, the, the Territorial Army in Scotland, and oh my goodness, 5 a.m. bagpipes, goodness me. It's, it's shocking, isn't it? I mean, I would yeah. not like to be woken up, but, um, so, but they appreciate the humour, I think. And yes. we do, you know, it's from, from sleeping bags to early morning, um, exercises to music, you know, um, they quite enjoy that. So uh, I don't think I don't think they really hate any part of it. I think um, a lot of the lot of the young people, as you would expect, are quite nervous about caving. Um, that's quite a challenging activity for a lot of young people. Um, and obviously, some you know some young people are, are concerned with water. So we had a young girl on our um, coastal camp uh, recently, and she was petrified of the sea. Uh, literally, couldn't go near it at all uh and that that particular part of the program is only sort of three days long but at the end of those three days i just remember seeing her uh, down on the beach and she was sort of sitting on the on the edge of the uh, beach with her legs in the water the waves were breaking over her and she was just captivated 
um, by just feeling and experiencing the sea. And um, seeing, again, seeing that change in three days, uh, that's, that's an amazing transition for someone to make. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just uh, remarkable to see these changes, yeah. Wow, it's, it's really wonderful what you guys do. Um, can, can I change tack slightly to ask you a bit about the, the working side of leading an organisation um, um, and growing an organisation? How, how, how can you make everyone involved feel that their contribution matters? Um, I think in terms of leading an organisation, um, what makes it really easy uh, is having the right people. And we have an incredible team, um, our operations team that design and deliver and run all of our programs with the young people. Um, and we also have an amazing fundraising team that uh, raise all of the money. We don't get any government funding. Um, so they're out there constantly um, battling uh, to raise the money that we need. And we take a good amount of time <clears throat> and consideration to make sure that we've got the right people. And when, you, when you've got the right people in the jobs, what you, all you have to do then is just make sure that they've got the resources uh, to do what they need to do and to let them go and let them get out there and get on with it. Um, so that's, that's a very easy thing to do because we've got such a highly skilled group of uh, staff to, to make all these things happen. And, and that's a very proud thing for me to just see this, uh, the organization doesn't need me. It can function without me. Um, and, it's, and it's got a lot better since I've let things go um, um, because people are much better at doing things than I was. Um, so as we've grown and as we've taken more people on, we've just got better and better at what we do. So that's one element to it. Um, uh, and also, we've got an incredible group of volunteers and over 200 uh, volunteers that help us deliver our program. Um, and they're a very special uh, bunch of people um, so committed to what we do. They bring uh, a golden ingredient, really, um, to, to the program with young people. I think that, and there's a little bit of a light bulb moment when the young people realize that these volunteers are giving up their holiday to work uh, on the program and to make sure the experience is the best that it can be for our young people. And I think when that light bulb goes on, they suddenly think, okay, you know, why, why exactly are you doing this for me? And that's a really nice, that's a really nice moment. Yeah, Sorry, what was the last bit of your question about? I can't, me I can't remember your answer for so long. I can't remember what okay. the question was anymore. I'll, but I'll I think rambling on. <laughs> I think that for the for some of these young people from their home situations to suddenly come across volunteers who care about them, yeah, and sufficiently to give up their spare time, that must be quite a, <clears throat> more empowering than let's go climb up this wall. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and actually, to start with, sometimes <clears throat> there's you can sort of see that the young people don't quite know how to take the adults. Um, so they treat them with a bit of suspicion, maybe, to start with, or not quite sure how the land lies. Um, but very quickly, very, very quickly, um, they, they start realizing that actually everybody's in this together. And it's a, it's a very open, safe, secure environment for them to be who they want to be. And that's ultimately what we're trying to get to is for young people to choose who they want to be and then go out there uh, in the world and be that person um, and and to try and remove the barriers to that, really. Mm, yeah. So when I mean, there are so many good causes struggling for cash at the moment. So how how do you persuade organisations or 
donors or individuals to to part with their cash and support you? Well, uh, we've got a very good case um, because um, in practical terms, uh, we are changing young people's lives and, and that will have a knock-on effect uh, for many, many years to come. All of these young people, we hope, will be playing a very positive role in society. So um, that sort of case is a very simple case to put across. And we've got lots of um, practical examples of how it does uh, change the course of young people's lives. So that's one side of it. <clears throat> the other side is to drag lots of unsuspecting people uh, to various places around the UK and occasionally around the world to do ridiculous fundraising events um, for us. So we do our um, Arctic sledge hauling uh, trip. We're about to um, take a group cycling from Morocco up the Atlas Mountains. Um, I'm looking to plan a, um, um, a group of people horse riding across the uh, Kyrgyzstan plains to climb unclimbed peaks. And then we've got lots of UK events where people can um, charge up and around the mountains. So lots of companies take part in a lot of these challenge events for us. So we've got a very broad mix of um, fundraising opportunities for people. And, mm -hmm. to, and to a certain extent, actually, the, the people that are fundraising for us are getting very similar benefits out of this, out of the fundraising, as the young people are getting out of their program. So when, when a fundraiser comes with us for the first time, and they take part in our 24 Peaks Challenge, for example, in the Lake District, it may be the first time they've ever been up a mountain. And so with our support and with a really good safety network around them, they've suddenly climbed 24 of the biggest mountains in the Lake District in nonstop in one go. Uh, and then that can lead to these people going on in the future and, and you know, embracing these wild places and mountains where they may never have done. So, yeah, that's quite, it's quite interesting that... Um, fundraisers and supporters get similar benefits sometimes to the, mm. to the young people yeah that's really good so how can how can listeners to this podcast help uh well i i guess the um the main the main thing the main strength that we have as a charity is people um and so there is all sorts of opportunities uh for people to get involved from program volunteers that are helping deliver our our, our camps and programs throughout the year uh, we've got uh, mentoring volunteers, so people that want to mentor a young person one-to-one uh, -one, um, or um, uh, challenge event volunteers. So all these events I've been talking about, you know, come and help us run those. So there's, uh, and obviously there's other ways of supporting. If you've got things you'd like to do to raise uh, money for the charity, then we can help you um, put those sort of things together. So there's unlimited ways you can help, really. Um, so all you need to do, really, is get in touch. So if you go to our website, I think you're going to put it up, aren't you, afterwards? But, yeah, please go to our, our website, the YouTube to Trust, and um, get in touch because with, with people we can make these changes. Brilliant. Yeah, well, I, I've, I've, um, I'm very admiring of what you all do, so I hope some people will get involved and, uh, and help out a bit. Um, I traditionally end my podcast with a um, selection of deep and meaningful questions from my lucky dip deck of cards you're up for two minutes of uh, lucky dip questions let's do it if you don't want if you don't want any you can say pass okay, okay. tell one stop <clears throat> stop did anyone ever warn you against being adventurous and how did that feel uh 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think I I was I think I had a lot of support. Um, I don't think everyone really sort of said don't do this. Um, Which no. presumably is in great contrast to the young people you're working with. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they don't they don't have people that are there encouraging them. <clears throat> so uh, I, I think I had a lot of encouragement, and um, out of all the crazy things uh, that I've done, and no one. I mean, people have sort of afterwards said we shouldn't have done that. But they didn't say it before we went. Okay. We'll do another one. Someone stop. Stop. What is an absurd thing that you love? An absurd thing. (laughs) Tricky questions. Um, Okay, what 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 are your what are your extracurricular hobbies when you're not when you're not saving the world? Well, they're sort of uh, they're sort of adventurousy type things. All adventure, really. right? Um, uh, I, okay, so one of my one of my absurd things that I love is I'm serving a long term um, photography apprenticeship uh, with Martin Hartley, who's at times quite absurd. Um, so that would be my my closest yeah. idea. Yeah, I'm, I love I'm trying to learn from him. I like your photography. It's very um, vivid, rich colours. That's what my... Uh, uh, my what photography? I yeah, I was snooping around on your Instagram. I like it. It's really... <laughs> good, the co- it was the colours I really noticed from it. Right, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, when I grow up, I might be a photographer. Okay, oh, me too. Right, go on. We'll do one more. Okay, go on. Stop. What is a good decision you have made in life... And what can that teach me about making decisions? Uh, I think probably the best decision I've made for a very long time uh, was to uh, take on running the charity. And at the time, I <clears throat> well, when I first started, it felt like um, the charity was all well set up and, and it was just sort of sitting, you know, sort of sitting in the driving seat. But actually, it was two boxes of paper, which I thumbed through and it was all pretty much a load of rubbish. So I threw it all away and then bought a laptop and opened it up and then just, right, what do we do next? Um, and there was, that was the start of it, really, for me. And that's led to uh, 18 years of sort of um, work fulfillment and uh, engagement with some amazing people and some amazing young people. So it's, it's, it's that decision to do that and to take that step slightly into the unknown uh, has, has totally changed the last 18 years of my life. So if I was to give any recommendation, um, and I think you're a big um, advocate of this, is to take the first step, isn't it? Step outside the front door, go and try something. And, and I think you can get amazing rewards by, by just taking that first step sometimes, mm-hmm. even if it feels uncomfortable. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Martin. That's a perfect place to, for us to end on. Um, thank you for your time and uh, wisdom today. And uh, thank you for all the work you do for the Youth Adventure Trust. It's been great talking to you. Thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. If you did, please do rate and review the series on your podcast app. It really helps. Please also take a quick screenshot right now and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, 
you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.